Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Wednesday, September 28th. The county declares homelessness a public health emergency. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. A former San Diego County Sheriff's deputy who admitted to on-the-job misconduct with 16 women is heading back to jail. This comes after an appeals court ruled Monday that Richard Fisher has to serve 956 more days in jail. That's according to reporting from the San Diego Union-Tribune. Fisher was previously credited for serving nearly a thousand days on house arrest. But during that time, he was allowed to leave his home and thus not actually on house arrest. Fisher previously served five months in jail. A plan is in the works to make housing more affordable for middle-income San Diegans. Yesterday, the Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a proposal to entice builders to construct affordable housing. The plan would also create low-interest loans, restricted to those making between 80 and 120 percent of the average median income. That's about $82,500 in San Diego right now. County staff will bring a proposal back to the board for a vote in six months. An excessive heat warning for San Diego County's deserts is in effect until 8 tonight. Forecasters are predicting temperatures between 100 and 106 degrees. Less severe heat advisories remain in place until 8 tonight for the county's coastal and valley areas. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right, let's geek out together about the things we love. The San Diego County Board of Supervisors voted yesterday to declare homelessness a public health emergency. While the move won't release additional funds to address homelessness, the declaration will allow the county to focus resources on the numerous health issues plaguing the community. KPBS's Jade Heidman asked PATH Regional Director Hunan Scrapper about how not addressing health care needs perpetuates the cycle of homelessness. Having direct access to adequate health care and having a safe place to sleep, they really go hand in hand. And, you know, when we think about each one of us, when we're not feeling well, we want to be able to stay home and sleep, get some rest. And that's just not 
available to our clients. And we see various health issues through uh, when we do street outreach. We see some issues related to open wounds that really get worse over time and get infected. Cellulitis, chronic health conditions such as heart and liver disease, just various health issues that our unhoused individuals are experiencing. And it really impacts their ability to be productive and actually meet their goals in life and being able to actually work towards um, addressing their homelessness and get into a safe place. Outreach workers often talk about how members of the homeless community are reluctant to address mental health issues. Is this the case with basic health care needs as well? Yes. And I think in some cases, you know, people may not have had a great experience accessing health care And similar to when we're not feeling well, we may go to our primary care physician or a doctor and in our unhoused population, they don't have a doctor to go to. They have not established that level of care. And so they may go to the emergency room to get their basic health care needs met. And so we need to change that framework so that people do have access to physicians. People do have access to going into a clinic or a healthcare center to receive those basic medical needs. And by making healthcare accessible, it really helps people improve their health, access to medication, access to wound care, and follow-up services and medication. These are all critical services that are unhoused and actually all humans need. How do outreach organizations work to connect the unhoused with their individual healthcare needs? And why is healthcare access such a big problem in the first place? So our population, they may not know healthcare like Medi-Cal is available to them. And so all of our outreach teams are very well versed in knowing how to help someone get their healthcare insurance reinstated or even established to begin with. So what we've seen to be successful is actually accompanying individuals into these federally qualified health centers to establish a primary care physician to establish regular care and follow-up services. We've seen tremendous success in that and programs such as CalAIM, which is a state-funded program that is funded directly to the healthcare plans, which allows us to provide uh, mental health, substance use treatment, and community supports that's really looking at social determinants of health has really been a huge service in our communities. So making sure individuals know these resources are available to them and ensuring that our outreach specialists out on the street are knowledgeable about these healthcare resources. A San Diego's homeless community in recent years has been plagued by a few notable outbreaks of sickness. Can you talk about why these kinds of public health emergencies present a higher risk to the unhoused? I think it's uh, it comes down to like access to basic needs, right? Access to a bathroom where people can use bathroom, shower, and be able to actually meet their activities of daily living is critical. That will allow people to have a place to stay clean and healthy, as well as um, having resources in terms of shelter and permanent housing. I think when we have so many folks who are unhoused living on the streets, The streets aren't meant to be homes, aren't meant to keep people and provide a safe space for folks. So when you have a lot of people who are living unhoused on the streets, it really increases those chances of public health risk for everyone. That was Hunan Scrapper with PATH, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host, Jade Heidman. Over the last few weeks, public comment during supervisors' meetings 
has seen more and more residents calling on elected officials to end the COVID-19 local state of emergency. Many of those going before decision makers say that the threat of the virus is no longer there, instead falsely using data from the county on loss of life to argue that the vaccine is unsafe and ineffective. iNewsource reporter Daniel Dawson spoke to experts about the impact of misinformation at this point in the pandemic. In recent weeks, renewed claims about the COVID vaccine have gained traction on social media, using county-reported death data to argue that the shot does not work at preventing severe illness. An iNewsource analysis of this data, however, found that the rhetoric is untrue. Vaccinated individuals account for about 80% of the county's population, so when adjusted for the different population sizes, unvaccinated individuals have seen death rates that are four times higher this year than those who are vaccinated. With shifts nationwide away from government intervention to prevent further spread of COVID, this kind of misleading information is that much more dangerous, as Dr. Corinne McDaniels-Davidson with San Diego State University explains. Given that the onus of mitigation now rests with the individual, and incorrect information encourages riskier health behaviors. You know, I don't think people can be proactive about their own health unless they really fully understand the scope of the problem. Studies show that the vaccine remains to be the most effective way at limiting the likelihood for severe illness with COVID-19. For KBBS, I'm iNewsource reporter Danielle Dawson. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals blocked California's ban on private immigration detention centers Monday. Advocates tell KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis they are unhappy with the decision. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed that the uh, Court of Appeals made a decision that essentially negates what Californians want, which is shutting down uh, private corporations that profit from detaining human beings. Pedro Rios is an advocate with the American Friends Service Committee. He's protested in front of private detention centers throughout the state. Rios says that the court's decision will continue to endanger detained migrants. They're poorly regulated and there has been so much harm and people have died. And unfortunately, that will continue under this new ruling. Governor Gavin Newsom signed the private prison ban into law in 2019. It was the first such ban in the country, but it was quickly challenged in court by the Trump administration. Advocates now are particularly frustrated with the Biden administration's continuation of Trump's lawsuit. Jehan Lehner is a staff attorney at the Immigrant Legal Resource Center. She points out that Biden had promised to end private prisons during the 2020 presidential campaign. They campaigned on shutting down all private detention, and they really did raise a lot of money off of comparing themselves to the Trump administration and the anti-immigrant rhetoric coming from the Trump campaign. And so a lot of folks in the immigrant rights movement are feeling betrayed. The court ruled that California's ban on private detention centers violates the U.S. Constitution. Specifically, judges say that the state ban prevents U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement from using detention facilities in California. Judges determined that the Constitution bars California from exerting this level of control over the federal government's detention operations. Lehner disagrees. The court ended up saying that it's unconstitutional because it's directly controlling the federal government, which I would argue is recasting what AB 32 actually does. It doesn't direct the federal government to do anything. The federal government can still detain people here in California if it wishes to. It just can't use these for-profit detention centers in California. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. Coming up. An underwater DDT dump site. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. 
Hi, I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. San Diego scientists are taking a closer look at a massive underwater DDT dump site in the deep ocean waters between Catalina Island and Los Angeles. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. Researchers hope to learn just how dangerous the underwater habitat is near a notorious dump site in the San Pedro Basin. Some 27,000 deteriorating barrels are located there on the ocean floor. Scripps Institution of Oceanography researcher Lahini Alawuheri hopes to develop fingerprints of the chemical contamination so it can be traced. Can we show this sort of making its way through the food web that's at the deep basin into the food web that we're more familiar with where we might be catching fish or the dolphins and seals might be accessing? The area became a chemical dumping ground in the 1930s. Shipping records from a disposal company say 2,000 barrels of DDT lay sludge were dumped there every month for 15 years. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Democrats hold a slim nine-seat majority in the House of Representatives, and San Diego Congressman Scott Peters is one Democrat who says they've got a pretty good chance of holding on to it. Midterm elections for the party in power tend to go badly, but Peters told KPBS last year's January 6th riot, and especially the Supreme Court's Dodds ruling, which eliminated the right to abortion, have fueled Democrats' momentum. He calls the Republican Party the party of Trump. Whether you're motivated by January 6th or whether you're motivated by uh, this incredibly barbaric Dobbs ruling, people are going to come out. And you see that in registration. So I'm much more optimistic. I don't know if we'll be able to close the gap completely. But if the Republicans win, it won't be by much. In the November election, Peter faces Republican Cory Gustafson in the 52nd Congressional District, which will be redrawn and renamed the 50th District next year. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.